While walking home from school one day, uh, Mark noticed that there was a, a young boy uh, ahead of him, about his age, and um, he saw that he stumbled and, and fell. He had arms, uh, his arms was just full of stuff. And so Mark ran up to the boy that had fallen, and he helped him to his feet, and he helped him pick up all the things that had fallen on the sidewalk. And so they began to, to walk, and he helped him carry things home. And when he got home, uh, or on the way home, he found out that uh, the young man's name was Bill. And Bill was sharing with him that um, he was struggling in school, um, he had uh, lost his girlfriend, uh, they had broken up, and so on that walk, he was sharing a little bit about the things that he was going through. So when they got home uh, to Bill's house, Bill invited Mark in, and he came in, and they spent the afternoon together laughing and playing and uh, watching some TV. And though they did not come, become the closest of friends, during their junior high and high school time together, they did remain friends. Uh, they did some things together. They were acquaintance in some, uh, some way. And um, so they kept that connection uh, during those years. They were towards the end of their senior year, and uh, it's just a few weeks before graduation. And Bill approached Mark uh, in the courtyard, and he said, do you remember that day when we first met, when I stumbled and, and fell and you, you came to my, my aid to help me out? And um, Bill nodded and, and, and said, yes. Mark nodded and said, yes. So Bill um, said, did you ever wonder why I was carrying all of that stuff that day? Because he was carrying a baseball bat and glove, and he was carrying books and a recorder and clothes and jackets. Um, he just had an armful of stuff. He said, did you ever wonder why I was carrying all of that stuff? And before Mark could answer, Bill just kept on going. He said, I had cleaned out my locker that afternoon after school, and I was headed home. He said, over um, the last number of months, um, I've been going into my mom's bathroom and going into her medicine cabinet, and I've been taking, um, I was taking sleeping pills and getting enough of them so that I could go home that day and take my life. He said, but when you came up and picked up my books and helped me to my feet, and spent the afternoon with me, you saved my life. Imagine how many times a small act of kindness or compassion or mercy affects someone else that receives that. It may seem uh, seemingly insignificant. It may be what you consider a, uh, just a gesture of care. But it could flame life in someone else. It could bring encouragement to someone else. 
it could cause someone else to be inspired to carry life on. And you may never know it, but God used you to make a difference in that person's life. We continue our Sermon on the Mount series this morning, and this is the fifth beatitude. And this is a character trait of a true Christian, one who has become poor in spirit, is mournful, is meek, one who has become one that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And then Jesus in Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. What a great, great verse. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your precious word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I mentioned that the first Beatitudes and the the second set of four, are are, um, they go together. So the first four Beatitudes deal with the inner principles or the inner part of us, our hearts and our minds. They are concerned with the way we see ourselves before our loving God. The last four are outward manifestations of those attitudes. So it would read this way if you think about these eight Beatitudes. Those who are poor in spirit know that they are nothing without Christ, recognizing their need of mercy, and are led to show mercy to others. Those who mourn their sin are led to purify their heart. Those who are truly meek seek to make peace. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are never unwilling to pay the price for being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So this concept, this attribute, this attitude that we have of mercy is seen throughout Scripture, is called for throughout Scripture from the fall of man all the way through the consummation of history when Jesus Christ returns, mercy, a merciful attitude we see throughout Scripture and mercy is desperately needed. In a world in where we live today, the world that is somewhat cold-hearted at times, a world that is insensitive, sometimes even unsympathetic. We watch the news, it's 24-7. You can turn on your TV at any point, go on your computer at any time, and you can see some of the most tragic tragedies that happen around the world, much less within your own backyard. We see it everywhere. We hear it. We see the results of violence. We are shown dead bodies laying on the streets. We are shown police and paramedics hurrying to take about their duties in caring for those that are hurting or in need. We see friends, maybe even loved ones, that grieve 
over the tragedies that happen in their life. And because it is ever before our minds, ever before our eyes, ever present in all that we do, we have learned to cope with this. Our coping is that we kind of control our emotions, right? We, we look at that and we almost desensitize to it. We look at what's going on into, in the world and we become callous, even somewhat indifferent and even merciless. I would dare say, and I can only speak for me, but you can see if you fell into this. I would say within days, if not hours, after the shooting a week and a half ago in our own city, you have moved on. You have moved on. Did you think about the, the victims? Did you have compassion or mercy for them or even the shooter? Is it that we go on with life? How would Jesus have us respond when we see and hear and even when we have something that we can do, how would Jesus have us respond? Jesus speaks out against cruelty, against heartlessness. And this is much of the attitude we see in much of our society today. In this beatitude, Jesus calls us to be merciful. One of the great parables, and you know uh, the story that's recorded in Luke 10, 25 through 36, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a great example in Scripture of a merciful person. Jesus told the story of three individuals that pass by this man that has been beaten. He's on the road. He's left for dead. And there are three different individuals, Jesus tells us in this parable, that came by. The likelihood the person that was beaten was a Jew. The first person that comes by is me, a priest, a pastor, someone of the word. And they just go on by not doing anything, not showing any compassion or mercy. The second is Levi, and, and he comes by, and he does stop. He stops to look at the man. There may be a little bit of pity there on his behalf of, oh my goodness, look, that man got beat up and left for dead. But i got to hurry. I've got something I need to do, and the Levi keeps on going. Mercy is something that people need. Mercy is meeting people where they have need. It is not just simply a feeling of compassion or pity. It is showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Mercy is giving food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, companionship to the lonely. So there is an act of com compassion. Merciful people will show someone this act of compassion. The Samaritan came by, this third person that Jesus mentions, and he comes by and he stops and he looks and he has compassion, he has pity, but he does something about it. He acts. 
He doesn't wait. This was not his friend. In fact, the Samaritans and Jews, as you know, had very little to do if any, with each other, if anything. In many cases, they considered themselves enemies of each other. But this Samaritan reached out. He showed an act of compassion. He was merciful. Jesus, at the end of this parable, in verse 36, he says, Now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the thieves? And the lawyer replies, He who showed, you know the word? Mercy. He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Mercy is a character of God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And sometimes when we think about mercy, we think, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that God overlooks sin? If God is merciful, does God overlook sin when we consider his mercy? And no. We should know that God in his infinite love and his mercy and his grace. He comes to us. He calls us. He forgives us when we confess and repent and we surrender our life and belief to him. You see, this character of God, this merciful God that we serve, he brings us out of our misery because of our sin. He brings us out of our misery because of our sin. Listen to Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So this is the characteristic this is one of the attributes of God. God is rich in mercy. Do you remember the parable of the unforgiving or unmerciful servants in Matthew 18? And so this servant, as Jesus is telling the story, this servant owed a lot of money, and so it was called due. And he goes in to the person that he owes money to, and this person, as he begs for mercy the person shows him mercy that he owed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He goes out and sees someone that owes him some money. And the guy begs for mercy. And he shows him none. No, what you owe me, you've got to pay me. Well, word gets back as you know the story. And where he had been shown mercy, that mercy is taken away. God wants us who receive mercy from him, the one, the God who shows us mercy and grace, who forgives us of our sins. Please, he says, this is the attribute that you should have as a believer in me, that you should show mercy to others.
mercy is really one of our greatest needs. It's as if Jesus would say, the people of my kingdom are not takers but givers, not pretenders or pretending to be helpers, but practical, practical helpers. They do not condemn, but they show mercy. The selfish and self-righteous, most of them would not bother to help anyone unless they were to think that helping them would do something for them. Often people demand justice. They demand their rights or their rights be met. But you know, if we, deserve, if we got exactly what we deserve, we probably would all already uh, be headed towards hell. We have a merciful God who loves us and cares for us, who provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. God showed us mercy. And he calls us to be merciful. There's a few words that this morning that I want to give some contrast of because when we think about mercy, sometimes we uh, conflate it into some, some other pieces of Scripture uh, as God lifts them up through his word. And so we must realize that mercy is distinctly different than or from forgiveness. God's mercy to us is merciful to us even when we do not sin, just as you can be or show mercy to those who have done nothing against you. God's mercy doesn't just forgive our failures or our faults, but he reaches deep inside of us, into our weakness. He looks at us in our need. Mercy has much in common with forgiveness, but it is distinct from it. In Titus 3.5, Paul writes this, Jesus saved us not on, be, on the basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So God's forgiveness of our sin flows from his mercy. God's forgiveness for our sin flows from his mercy. Now, mercy is also distinctively different than grace. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is what saves us. Mercy is what sustains us. Mercy eliminates the pain where grace cures the disease. Mercy offers relief from punishment where grace offers pardon from the crime. We all that uh, have watched any of um, the law and order shows or any of the TV court shows, often when the verdict is rendered and uh, there's a guilty verdict and then there's a sentencing phase, and often you will hear uh, that person that has been found guilty his attorney or her attorney will say, my client is asking for the mercy of the court. In other words, leniency of a sentence. They beg for mercy. Mercy is different than grace. Mercy is also distinctively different than love. 
love is greater than mercy. As forgiveness flows out of mercy, mercy flows out of love. Love manifests itself in the ways that um, do not involve either forgiveness or mercy. Think of it this way. Love loves even when there is no wrong to be forgiven or no need that needs to be met. Mercy is like the physician. Love is like the friend. Mercy acts because of a need. Love acts because of affection, whether there's a need or not. Mercy is reserved for that time. So, in other words, if there's a need that needs to be met, we may offer mercy. But love is constant. Love is consistent. There is no true mercy apart from love, but there can be love apart from mercy. So love is greater than mercy because mercy flows out of love. Mercy is also related to justice. Although on the surface it seems to be uh, you know, incompatible with who God is, if God is love, grace, and mercy, and those are attributes that pl- flow from God, how can God be a God of justice? Where is mercy... When it comes to justice. But justice gives exactly what is deserved. Whereas mercy gives the less of a punishment. Some people just think. How is this that God could do this to a person? But we need to remember this. That God is merciful. But he does not negate or neglect justice. The truth is, is that God does not show mercy without punishing sin. And for him to offer mercy without punishment would negate his justice. Mercy that ignores sin is false mercy. The good news is this, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin in order that God would be merciful to all sinners who come to faith in him. On the cross, our sin was satisfied. Justice was met. God's justice was met on the cross. And when a person trusts in that sanctifying, satisfying sacrifice that God provided, the floodgates of mercy are opened. The good news is, is that God doesn't just wink at justice. He doesn't gloss over sin. He doesn't compromise with righteousness. The good news is, is that in the shedding of Christ's blood, justice was satisfied. Sin was forgiven. Righteousness was fulfilled. And mercy was made available. Thanks be to God. There is never an excuse for sin, but there is a remedy for sin, and that is God's mercy. God forgives. God offers grace because of his love for us. And he shows us justice, gives us justice, because he is a merciful God who loves us beyond measure.
the world would say to us, want us to think of it this way. If I'm going to show mercy, then what's in it for me? But we need to flip that because this is what God would say to us. This is what Jesus, the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit would say to us, look at it in a different way. He would want us to ask this question, Lord, what's in it for you? Not me and you, but you. Lord, what's in it for you? How can I meet this person's need? How would that glorify you, Father? How would an act of compassion, how would an act of mercy in giving, helping, giving of my time or effort or money or myself, Father, how would that glorify you? And then listen to what the Holy Spirit says. I think there's three ways for us to develop this merciful spirit that God calls us to have in this beatitude. The first is see the person. You see, in the Good Samaritan, when the Samaritan came by and saw the person that had been beaten, the scripture, the text says, and when he saw him, he didn't look away. He saw what was going on. He saw the need there. We tend to look away or get caught up in our dreams, our goals, or our plans. I can't do this today, Lord. Uh, just let me look away because if I look, I might have pity or compassion. I feel your Holy Spirit calling me to act in this way, uh, to help with this need, to have this mercy for this person. And then we look away. This example is not to point to me, but I think it's a good example because it just happened. And so I want to share it with you. Last Sunday, I left this place to go to the Hutchins. The youth and the kids were going to have dinner together or lunch together, and then they were going over to the Frankie's. And I had the drinks in my car, in my truck. And, um, and so Terry and everyone had already left, and they were there, and I was here uh, with all of the drinks. And so I was in a hurry to get over uh, to Aaron and Ryan's house. I get up to Spring Forest and Capitol Boulevard, and there's a young man in the median with a sign, and, um, and he's walking the median. You, you see it all over our town, and um, some of you uh, have decided how you want to help those individuals. Um, in Sunday school several months ago, I shared how I do it, and it's not, you don't have to do it my way. You just do it the way the Lord tells you, because that's what I do. When I pull up to a stop sign and there's someone there with a sign, I, I try to listen to the Holy Spirit. And there are times that I feel like the Spirit saying, this is not a time that you need to help. But there are times that the Holy Spirit tells me, you know, you need to pull some money out and help this person. And when I don't do that, I'm convicted which means I have to ask for forgiveness. I'm at the stoplight, and me and the Holy Spirit have a battle. Because you see, the only thing in my pocket is a $20 bill. That's all I have. I don't have any other cash. 
And normally I'll give a few dollars or a $5 bill, usually is about the most that I'll hand someone. And I said, Lord, I only have $20. And if I had some other change, I would be glad to give it. And the light wouldn't change, and the light wouldn't change. It's like it must have went through 10 cycles, at least in my mind. And finally, I rolled down the window, and the guy was probably five cars behind me, and I stuck my head out the window. I said, hey, dude, come here. So I reached in my pocket, and I gave him the $20 bill. I thought he was going to fall out in the daggone median. It's like nobody had given him a $20 bill in a long time, I don't think. It's not that I gave him a $20 bill, but I saw the guy, and I, couldn't, I could not take my eyes off of what God was calling me to do. So often, I think that we turn our head. I'm not telling you to go out and give every person that's at the median money. I'm telling you that when the Holy Spirit calls on you to meet a need of someone, he's doing it for a purpose, and it's his purpose and for his glory and we don't need to ignore it. We need to cultivate, cultivate that. Because Psalm 139, 14 says, all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't say just a few. He says all are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes might have eternal life. He shows grace offers forgiveness and mercy. Can't we see the need? The Samaritan saw the need of the person on the road, and he reached out. Secondly, I think that we need to feel the need. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And that second piece of that text in the Good Samaritan pa uh, passage says, and he had compassion on him. He had compassion in what he saw. When we were going through Romans in the 12th chapter, the 15th verse, it told us to weep with one another, to suffer with one another. And that doesn't mean that you may actually experience exactly the same thing as the person that you're meeting that need, but it means that you sympathize with them. You see their need. You have compassion on them. The danger is the inability or our inability to show that mercy. And when we do that, I just believe that our life is resulting in not pleasing our Savior. When Jesus says, blessed or happy are the merciful, I believe that's what he's calling us to do. Because you see, the third piece and final piece is that we need to respond the, the Good Samaritan text said, and he went to him and he took care of him. Seeing his need, he felt his need. He did not leave, but he responded to him, showing this man mercy. Loving him regardless of the risk. He didn't know if there were robbers that would still be around that would rob him. He was willing to take the risk to meet this who would be normally his enemy but was a man in need. Bernard Rimlin is the director uh, of the Institute of Child Behavior Research and he did a study 
And um, what he found out was the happiest people are those who help others. Here's how the study went. Each person in the study was asked to list 10 people. And here's how they had to label them. So you list 10 people that you know best. And it might be something that you want to do when you just have some time to think about it. And they were to label them either happy or sad people. Now, we all know some happy people. We know some people that are not happy or sad. And so beside all of those uh, 10 people, they were to list whether they were happy or sad. And then they were to go back to those 10 people, and they were to list beside them whether they were selfish or unselfish. And here's the definition that Remlin used for unselfishness or, or selfishness. He said, a selfish person has a tendency to devote one's time's resources to their own interests and not someone else. Un their unwillingness to inconvenience themselves to help another that is in need. And so the study was turned in, and he went and he calculated everything. And here's what the study showed. Every single person in the study that was listed as a happy person was a person that was unselfish. Every person that was listed as sad had selfishness beside their name. And he said he realized in the study that maybe the golden rule was correct do unto others as they would have you would have them do unto you. Or he said, maybe it would be this way. Be merciful and mercy will bring you happiness. Now there are those that believe that this beatitude is only showing the mercy of God. There are those that believe this, attitude, this uh, beatitude is only about if we are merciful to others of mankind, then that mercy will be reciprocated to us in some way. I think it's somewhat of both. We know that God shows us mercy, but I believe Jesus is calling us to be pure in mercy, to be uh, merciful because of the gift that has come to us from God. Pure mercy is a gift from God. And I believe Jesus is calling us to be merciful to others. We have been shown this divine grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. For those who by the Holy Spirit humbly bow in the poverty of spirit, who mourn over their sin, those who are meek and submissive to his control, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the way of mercy now comes in humility in helping those that we see. When we are merciful to others, we're able to be merciful because we have received God's mercy. And I believe the more that we show mercy to others, the more mercy we receive. At least that's what Jesus seems to be saying. Are you merciful in your walk?
Do you show others compassion? Has God called you to meet a need? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this beatitude. It really does. It causes me to check myself to see where my attitude is when it comes to being merciful. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit that dwells in us would call us as, as we walk with you, that your Holy Spirit would call us, Father, to be merciful to one another. It does not mean that we condone sin. It doesn't mean that we condone actions that are wrong or, or not right with your word. But it does mean that we are to love one another. Your word tells us to love our enemies. Father, may we have mercy flow out of love for others. For your love and mercy have been shown to us. Thank you, Father. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.